Hello, fellow CRNAs, and welcome to Rapid Sequence Discussion, a 10 to 15 minute podcast version of Grand Rounds. This is Kia Gilbert, Katie Pisciatello, and Linda Callery. Each month, we'll present a topic relevant to rural CRNAs. You receive a call for distressed laboring parturient requesting an epidural. This patient has a traumatic background. She is a veteran who is sexually abused by a commanding officer during her service. In order to cope with the subsequent PTSD, she self-medicated with opioids. She is currently a recovering addict, but is very fearful of receiving pain medication or having the pain itself trigger a relapse, causing her to lose everything. How would you approach this patient? Our guest today is Tom Barabow. Tom is an independent CRNA who spends the majority of his time as a solo OB provider. He also co-founded the Society for Opioid-Free Anesthesia, SOFA, with Jeff Moulter in 2016. SOFA was created to meet the growing need for anesthesia professionals to have the resources and education to go opioid-free. This is part one of a two-part series on opioid-free anesthesia. This episode, we are focusing on obstetrics. Tom, thanks for joining us today on your birthday. What are some important points to think about when caring for a parturient with a history of chronic pain or on medications such as Suboxone? Sure. So, you know, two things that you have to sort of understand about um, what opioids are, how they affect your body. And one is not only do they quickly develop uh, tolerance, so, you know, any opioids you might use uh, don't, you know, have any analgesic effect. Um, but the other thing that happens is you get this uh, opioid-induced hyperalgesia. The patients are very sensitive to pain, mm-hmm, and yes. it also causes allodynia, which means that touch is perceived as painful. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for your vaginal delivery patients, um, that pressure seems painful. And, you know, when we, we do an epidural for labor, when we tell our patients, we say, you're still going to feel oh, touch and pressure. pressure. Yeah. Um, because that's a, a different nerve transmitting that than the nerves that transmit pain, mm-hmm. and the epidural doesn't really block the touch nerve fibers, not like it does the pain nerve fibers. Mm-hmm. But and for these patients, it's the touch nerve fibers that are transmitting that sense of pain. Mm-hmm. And so epidurals become much less effective. Right. And so I, I think one of the things you have to do is, is have that honest conversation with your patient up front and explain that to them. And... Mm-hmm. A lot of it has to do with how, how determined that patient is. And a lot of patients are in a place where they said, you know, I, I used to be addicted to this. I don't want to be exposed to it. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. And, you know, those mm-hmm. are the patients that are going to do fine. That they'll, they'll still experience that pain, but they know that it's self-limiting and, you know, they're prepared to deal with that. Yeah, mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, honestly, that... That makes all the difference in the world. But we still have those patients that are sort of uh, not prepared uh, emotionally to deal with that. And so it's their, their anxiety over the whole process uh, will even magnify, you know, their pain because they're so afraid of it. Yeah. Um, and, and those are the ones that are, are really uh, even harder to, to manage. Yeah. Okay. For those patients planning vaginal deliveries, how do you generally treat labor analgesia? One thing you can do uh, that will help that uh, bit is to use an alpha-2 agonist like clonidine or Presidex mm. in your epidural. And you can either 
do uh, sort of an intermittent bolus of it um, and or mix it up with a local anesthetic and run an infusion of it. Okay. Um, but, but those medications do a great job because not only do they have an analgesic effect, uh, but they're also anxiolytics. Yeah. So it really helps bring that anxiety level down, which is what's Huge. making the pain so much worse. Yeah. Right. Uh, I typically use Presidex for, for labor epidurals. I find it just to be a little bit denser than clonidine is. Uh, the advantage to clonidine is it's much longer acting. So if you wanted to to just do it kind of across the board when you first put the epidural in, clonidine might be a little better choice there. Mm. Whereas, you know, the vast majority of patients do well with kind of the, the standard routine. Um, so, you know, I kind of reserve it for those patients that are having some trouble. When we asked about alpha-2 dosing, Tom gives a dexmedetomidine bolus of 25 to 50 mics. 25 mics is better for the patients that need to be awake and are about to push, and 50 mics is appropriate for the patient with a longer road ahead or that are in early labor. You can also add 0.5 mics per mil of dexmedetomidine to the local epidural infusion. For clonidine, he gives an epidural bolus of 50 mics. Upon doing a literature search on neuraxial use of dexmedetomidine, we found that a majority of the research is from other countries with small sample sizes. There are limited studies on clonidine given epidurally. A double-blind randomized controlled trial by Zhang et al. found that a combination of low-dose ropivacaine with 0.5 mics per ml of dexmedetomidine was superior in analgesic effect and duration compared to sifentanil, but the dexmedetomidine group had a higher Ramsey sedation score. Also, for those that do CSEs, a study by Delesh et al. reported a dose of 10 micrograms of dexmedetomidine intrathecally provided longer duration of analgesia with less pruritus compared to 20 mics of fentanyl. But fentanyl had better APGAR scores at one minute. Side effects. Most studies reported no increase in side effects compared to opioids. Harsor et al. reported an increased time to ambulation and increased sedation from dexmedetomidine. At a dose of 1 mic per kg of dexmedetomidine, Hassanine and Alshal reported higher overall sedation scores in which 46% of participants only responded to gentle tactile stimulation, and just 30% awoke to verbal commands only. This study also reported increased bradycardia and longer block regression in the dexmedetomidine group compared to Lido for, with epi for patients go, undergoing emergency C-section with an epidural. So now that we've covered epidurals, Tom, how do you dose your spinals for C-sections? Sure. So first thing first, um, when you're talking about eliminating opioids from your uh, spinal anesthetic, um, the local doesn't do a great job of covering the visceral component when they extrovert the uterus. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so if you're just going straight local, you may still have some complaints of nausea, referred pain, yeah. um, when they've got the uterus on the outside of the body. Mm -hmm. um, and again, you can use uh, clonidine or Presidex in your spinal, and it does a, a great job of, of covering that referred pain. Oh. We asked Tom about nerve blocks and C-sections, and he said he prefers QL blocks to TAPS because it may also provide visceral pain relief due to spread of the local anesthetic within the lumbar and thoracic paravertebral space. In the BlockBuddy app, the QL3 block is the recommended approach, but the patient must be in the lateral position. Tom has been successful doing a variation of this block. You know, we do a version of it that uh, the patient can be supine for, 
give a little higher volume and hope that makes up for it. And a decent amount of the time, it does. Um, but the other thing I'll say is that, you know, when you're dealing with uh, pain, and especially pain in high-risk individuals, those, you know, you mentioned the, the people who have opioid addiction or on medication-assisted therapy uh, for opioid addiction, or even patients that have, um, you know, chronic pain, and now they've got acute surgical pain on top of their chronic pain, don't look for a silver bullet, a single technique that's going to completely eliminate their pain. Um, so you don't need to look for that block that's going to 100% cover their pain. You know, do the block that you can do, um, and then do multimodal therapy on top. Mm -hmm. You know, anyone who's had a C-section should be on, you know, every six hour Tylenol and ibuprofen, mm -hmm. you know, things of that nature you can use. Um, yeah, that's a good point. You know, some some yeah. people, you know, will use uh, some low-dose gabapentin. I kind of find that that has a lot of side effects, especially in young women that they don't like, so I don't do that myself. Um, but but think multimodally rather than just looking for that, that one silver bullet to solve all your problems. To come full circle, the parturient we mentioned at the beginning of the episode was Tom's patient. Here's how he managed it. Um, so she was, was very anxious, and you know, like we talked about earlier, anxiety makes the pain worse. Um, and so I was just able to, to talk to her to sort of explain the whole process, the pathophysiology of pain. Uh, we did a, a local only epidural for her, um, and I supplemented it with um, some oral non-narcotic medications, and she was able to, to do fine with it. But, you know, in, in all these situations, uh, communication is key. And giving them a sense of what to expect. Um, because the unknown is like the big scary. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're able to, to explain the process, what's going on in their bodies, what they can expect, um, and then deliver on that, then it's not scary anymore for them. And they, they can sort of come to grips with it, and they do a lot better. Sometimes the best medicine is some verbal versed. Thank you, Tom, for your case presentation and being on our third episode of Rapid Sequence Discussion. Now's your time for a shameless sofa plug. If you want any more information about the Society for Opioid Free Anesthesia, you can visit our website at goopioidfree.com. We actually have a conference coming up at the end of October. Uh, if you've got an interest in that and would like some more information on uh, the science behind it and how to give an opioid-free anesthetic. We're going to be down in Panama City, mm. and we'd love for you to join us. Well, that's Florida, right? Florida in October. That's Sounds exactly. nice. <laughs> About the time you're getting sick of cold weather. Yeah. Sounds like a great opportunity to learn in a great location. Yeah. FYI, early bird registration in September 30th. That concludes this episode of Rapid Sequence Discussion. Thanks to those of you who are supporting our podcast. We are three full-time CRNAs doing all of our own recording and editing, and this podcast is for our capstone project. Please fill out the pre- and post-surveys found in the episode notes. Follow us on Instagram at Rapid Sequence Discussion, and stay tuned for future episodes. Until next time. This is a joke.